0: Well, good morning. Really good to be with everybody. As uh, Doug mentioned, my name is Joey Sutton. And I uh, wanted to tell you just a little bit about uh, how it is that I'm standing up in front of you today before we get into the message. Uh, so as he mentioned, I grew up in, grew up here in Marshall and uh, grew up in church. I uh, grew up at Emanuel Baptist Church right down the road and uh, was active in junior high and high school and all of those uh, formative years and had opportunities to be in different, you know, leadership positions um, in different school groups like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and a, a regular Bible study that we had. And uh, just through some of those activities um, and, and just, you know, interacting with other people felt that there might be some kind of call in my life to preach. But I, I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know what, what to do with that. And, and to be really honest, I was, I was kind of scared. I was scared by it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know that the Lord could use me to do that. Uh, and so to be really honest, uh, I just ignored it. I just, I just tried as much as I could uh, to put that out of my mind. Surely the Lord wouldn't call me to do that. Surely there's some, some other way I can serve the Lord, and, and it'll be just, just fine, right? Uh, and so, I, like he said, I went to ETBU, uh, got married, have two daughters, uh, been active in church, have, have taught Sunday school, uh, for the past 15 years and felt like, well, that's, that's enough. You know, that's enough for the Lord, that I teach Sunday school, I'm involved in church committees, I, I, I do all these different things. But, but in, this, in the past decade, have just always felt that sense of, of discomfort, sense that something's not quite right. Um, you know, that, that feeling you, you, you feel when you know that you're not walking in, in obedience to the Lord and what he's called you to do. Um, and, and really what it was is it it, when I really prayed about it and began to be convicted about it, it, it turned out to be really a lack of faith in the Lord to be sufficient, to, to equip the people that he calls to do what he calls them to do. Um, and I found myself almost like, like Moses, you know, in Exodus 4, when he says, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. Lord, I don't talk so well. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and you, you can't say that to the Lord because then he says, who made man's mouth? Um, but, uh, you know, I found myself offering the same irrational, irrational fears back to God to say, Lord, certainly you can't use me to preach. I, there's all kinds of reasons. But again, just the Lord just relentlessly, you know, loved me. Um, His Holy Spirit, you know, constantly, there, there was conviction there. So um, at the end of 2016, really began praying, like, Lord, if, if, this, is, if this is your will for my life, I want to be obedient to it, and, and I pray that you would just provide opportunity and give me the strength to do what you've called me to do. Uh, so in, in 2017, I had a couple of opportunities uh, to preach at our church uh, at First Baptist in Hallsville. That's where we go to church. Uh, so I had a couple of opportunities to preach. And, uh, and it wasn't terrible. I mean, there's some people here from First Baptist. They might tell you if it was after. But um, it, it, it wasn't terrible. And for the first time, for the first time in, in 15 years, felt, felt a sense of peace. I uh, just complete peace with God that this is, this is what he's, he's called me to do. So in October, um, I reached out to Randy Babbin. He's the director of the, the local Baptist Association and said, listen, I don't know if you could use somebody like me, um, but I know that sometimes churches need fill in preachers. And uh, if you'd have me, I'd be happy to do that wherever, wherever that might be a need. And, and he said, sure. You know, I was hoping he'd say, well, fill out an application and we'll, we'll think about it. But he said, sure. That's great. Um, and then uh, not too long after that, at Faith Clinic one night, uh, Doug comes up to me and says, hey, listen, um, you know, Jason's going to be out of town in February. Would, would you like to preach at our church? And I uh, just found myself saying, uh, sure, <laughs> sure. So, um, so God was faithful, uh, not only to, to call, but to provide opportunity. Um, and, and since that time, I've had other opportunities to preach uh, at, at local churches. You know, the, the Lord has been faithful to provide the opportunity. So so I have the, the pleasure of being here this morning uh, and again next week. And so I, I don't claim to have any kind of special, special skill or ability or talent, just somebody that, that is a, a living testimony of God's patience, uh, of God's grace and mercy with stubborn vessels, um, that that he can use them however, however he wishes. So... Uh, so that's, uh, that's why I'm here today, in case you're wondering how it is that I got here. So it's a, it's a testimony to God's grace uh, that I'm standing up here. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, looking at verses 8 through 10. And, uh, and my hope today is that um, it, it we'll be encouraged through the, the truth that Paul uh, expresses in, in just these three short verses. There's a lot of truth here that I think we can stand on. And as somebody who did spend years wavering in his calling from the Lord, I, I can identify with Timothy a little bit in that. But I think we can be strengthened uh, from God's Word. So I'll, I'll read it for us now. This is uh, the Word of the Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So just, just to give you a little background on, on 2 Timothy, um, if, you, if you remember any kind of history, you remember Nero, the emperor, uh, he, was, he was crazy. Um, he was a, kind of a lunatic, and there's that saying that he played the fiddle while Rome burned. Uh, so if you remember in, in A.D. 64, there was this big fire in Rome, uh, and it, it was kind of lit to burn up some of the poor sections of town to make room for bigger buildings. But as it turns out, it burned up some of the, the more wealthy areas of town as well. And so uh, the, the government kind of needed a scapegoat, so they pinned that fire on, on Christians. And so as a result of that fire, this, this persecution broke out against the church uh, and Christians in Rome. And as part of that persecution, uh, you know, we believe Paul was, was arrested and, and probably Peter was arrested too. And, and so Paul uh, was imprisoned uh, for the second time. Uh, and this imprisonment wasn't like his first imprisonment. The first time he was kind of under house arrest. He had some freedom. He was able to write some of his epistles. Uh, but now he's in a, in a prison. He's chained. Uh, it's, a, it's just a dank, dire uh, situation. Uh, and so 2 Timothy is, is Paul's last, last letter. He knows, he knows that his time is short. He says in uh, 2 Timothy 4 6, uh, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. So Paul knows that I'm in prison, I'm probably not getting out, uh, and this is, this is kind of my valedictory address. And so he's writing a letter to his young protege in the faith, Timothy. You know, he refers to him multiple times as my son in the faith. So Timothy, we know, is, is ministering at Ephesus. And if you know anything about Ephesus, if you read in the book of Acts or anywhere else, you know that Ephesus was a wild city. It was steeped in paganism. Um, there, were, there were all kinds of things going on. And if you read the letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, we get a little bit of an understanding as to what Timothy had to deal with as a, as a pastor there. Uh, the word quarrels comes up a lot. So Timothy's dealing with quarrels, with false doctrine, with persecution, with apostasy, with all kinds of strife in the church. And so Timothy is this young minister of the gospel, and he's, he's wavering because of all the things that he's having to deal with. And so Paul, in 2 Timothy, I think one of his aims is to encourage Timothy uh, to stand strong uh, in the faith. Um, and, and we know that Timothy kind of wavered a bit. If you remember in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Uh, And then we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6 and 7, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So, timothy needed to hear some of these encouraging words timothy don't don't waver don't give in stand strong god didn't give us a spirit to make us timid or fearful but of power and love and sound mind endure the things that that you're going through so again one of the overarching themes of second timothy is is to stand strong to stand firm in the faith that is in christ jesus you know, be strengthened in that in in whatever it is that that uh, that we're enduring it's interesting uh, Paul uses 25 imperative verbs in this, in this four-chapter four chapter letter. And if you're thinking, what's the big deal about that? Imperative verb, it's, it's a command. And so we, we pick up a sense of urgency in Paul's writing. You know, stand, stand strong in the faith. Remember Jesus Christ. He, he gives these imperatives. So it's not, a, not like a suggestion to Timothy, but a, a loving command. And so, you know, when I tell my daughter, clean your room, that's an imperative. That's not a suggestion. She's nodding her head. That's that's I'm lovingly admonishing her. Do this for your good, because I love you, right? So that's what that's what Paul's doing here in Second Timothy. He's giving these imperatives. He's giving Timothy what he needs to stand firm uh, in the midst of all the things that he's dealing with. Um, and so that's that's kind of the background for what we what we get into today. Um, in in chapter two, verse one, I think also gives us a little bit of a picture uh, for what. For what paul wants as a result of this letter he says this you then my son be strong in the grace that is in christ jesus or or be strengthened in the grace that is in christ jesus that's a, that's a command that's that's what paul wants for timothy is to be strengthened be strengthened in the grace that is in christ jesus and and that's that's the message that we need to hear from paul today too is to be strengthened um, not in our circumstances, uh, not in our ability to figure things out or in, in hopes that this, this life will somehow get better, but in the grace that is in Christ Je- Jesus, we can be strengthened. And that's, that's what he wants. And so, you know, like I said earlier, my hope this morning is that, um, is that you'll be encouraged uh, in the words uh, that Paul gives to Timothy here. Um, we, we might not live in an Ephesus-like situation, but uh, we live in, in the world nonetheless, and we need, we need the strengthening. So if we go back to verse 8, Paul starts with with another imperative, remember Jesus Christ. Um, And you wonder, why would he say that to Timothy? Would Timothy have forgotten Jesus? Uh, I I mean, no. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Again, this is a a present tense imperative verb. And so kind of the the message he's trying to communicate here is constantly remember Jesus Christ. Remember, remember, remember. Sometimes you have to repeat things over and over and over again. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. You think about um, what the writer of Hebrews said in, in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2. As, as we run the race that's marked out for us, what do we do? We, we fix our eyes on Jesus, right? That's what we do. And I, I think about how often, you know, as, as, we're, as we're going through our life and in our walk, we, we, we replace Jesus with, with a lot of good things, you know, good, good authors, good teachers, um, you know, good self-discipline practices. We, we, we try to find solutions to all of our troubles um, through our own means, through what the world affords to us. And, and we essentially forget Jesus Christ. And, and Paul is commending the opposite. Remember Jesus Christ. Timothy, if you want to stand firm, remember. Remember. Um, keep it in the forefront of your mind. In everything that you do, remember Jesus Christ. But, but not only that, um, he tells us two things to remember about Jesus. And these are important. These are important because it, I think a lot of times what we do is, is we try to fit Jesus into whatever political or social or cultural mold we want to fit him into, whether we say, well, Jesus was a great historical teacher. Um, Jesus was a political rebel. Jesus was uh, a Republican. Jesus was a Democrat. We, we take Jesus and we, we force him into some mold that we want him to fit into, but, but Paul really blasts that for us here by identifying Jesus in two ways. First of all, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ having been raised from the dead. That's, that's the first and foremost important thing that we need to remember about Jesus is that he is, he is risen, we, we serve a living Savior. You know, he, he's not just a historical figure. He's not just a person that's still in the grave, uh, but we serve a risen, a risen Lord. You know, if we want to stand firm in the faith, we stand firm in the truth that we serve a risen Lord and, and not, just a, not just a good teacher. Uh, you know, in fact, the, the, the resurrection is central to everything that we believe. It, it, our faith hinges on the reality of the resurrection. Think about uh, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He dedicates a, a big chunk of scripture to teaching about the resurrection because there were people teaching that the dead aren't raised. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so the, the reality of the resurrection should inform everything that we do, because without it, what, what are we doing here? Paul says, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But, but the truth is, we serve a risen a risen savior. Christ has been raised. Our preaching is not empty. Our faith is not futile. Um, all of our efforts for the kingdom aren't in vain. You know, everything that we do for Christ counts because he's raised. So we know uh, that we're not wasting our time in Christ. Um, we have in Jesus. And I'm thankful for the songs that we sang this morning, in Christ alone. I mean, how, how appropriate you know, for the message. Um, that in Christ we have the defeat of death and sin and the grave, and we're reconciled to God. You know, we, if we want to stand firm in the faith, that's, that's the foundation. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. But Christ has indeed been raised up from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And so Christ has been raised from the dead. And, and the reality of the resurrection gives us hope in our resurrection, that if Christ has been raised, we'll be raised with him. That's That's what we cling to. So when we remember Jesus Christ, we remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And I think about what Tim preached last week, and I thought it was so appropriate, about being reconciled to God. You know, that the death and resurrection of Jesus reconcile us to God, and that's, that's what we celebrate. Think about, um, you know, the, the role of the resurrection in the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. This is Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. that's that's paul's aim in his prayer for the ephesians the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion in every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So when we, when we think about a resurrected, a resurrected Christ, we see one who is preeminent over everything, who rules sovereignly uh, over all creation and over his church, which we are the church. And so in every way, Christ is ruling um, and the power of God is, is active in our lives now. And so I think, about, I think about that kind of foundation to stand on. And, and all of the things that, that come our way, all the adversity uh, in our life because of the gospel, that's, that's the truth that we stand on, is, is, the, is the resurrected Christ and, and the power of God working now. But Paul doesn't just stop there with the resurrected Christ, because there's, a, there's another, another half of that we need, that we need to understand. But he also says, descended from David. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. So not only do we re- remember a risen Christ who, who reigns and is seated at the right hand of the Father uh, advocating for us, uh, we remember Jesus in his humanity. We remember his humanity. Um, we, we don't only serve a, a risen Savior who, who rules, uh, but we serve an empathetic high priest uh, who, in every way, can identify with, with the temptation, with the struggle, with the pain that, that we go through. Um, think about this in Hebrews 2. 14 through 18. If you're taking notes, I can just email you the notes. There's a lot of scripture here. I apologize. I can just send it to you. Uh, Hebrews 2:14 through 18. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we can be confident Jesus didn't take any shortcuts. Jesus was fully God and fully human um, in his life on this earth, and fully atoned for all of our sins, perfectly and completely. That's, that's the good news that we have. He didn't, he didn't just kind of get us to the finish line, and then there we are to finish the race. He, he paid it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. He, he made complete, perfect atonement for our sin, and in that way, he serves as, as our great high priest. Um, in front of God and this is this is Hebrews four fifteen through 16 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need so so in in Jesus we have one who knows what it is to feel pain we have one who knows what it is to suffer to feel hunger. You, know, you think about you know, when people would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he would say, I don't even have anywhere to live. You know, Jesus, Jesus knew what that was. He, he knew what it was to walk in this flesh. And, and all, the, all the pains and the, the groaning and the aching and the longing that, that we feel on a daily basis because we live in a broken world, Jesus knows that fully. And so we can run to him. You know in in our hour of need in, in the midst of temptation in the midst of struggle we can run to jesus confident that not only does he hear us but he empathizes with us he extends mercy uh, and grace to us I, I think about when we get caught up in in sin and temptation how how quickly we we try to run and, and hide from god like like adam and eve did in the garden we, we try to try to hide our sin and think lord i can i'll handle this i, I can figure it out but but what we see in christ is a Savior who knows what it is to be tempted, but, but did not sin. And so we, we turn to him. We, we go to his throne and, and with the expectation of, of mercy from him. So, again, when we remember Jesus Christ, we, we want to remember not just historical Jesus, um, not just a, a figure that you might have read about in a, in a history class or somebody that had some good morals or, or good teachings. We remember a resurrected Savior, who in every way knew what it was to, to walk the earth like we walk it, and right now is interceding for us with the Father at, at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's who we remember. That's what, that's what motivates us for our ministry. That's what fuels us uh, as we go. Not that things are going to work out or be easy or we're going to have all the answers. We're not. But we have Jesus Christ. So that, that in all things, um, what we think, what we do, how we speak, where we go, all of it is, is almost, we, we have that lens that everything is filtered through Jesus. Um, and, and this is difficult. This is difficult because the world and, and all that it offers to us um, just lulls us uh, away. We, we get caught up in the, the snares of the evil one, and, and we forget. We forget, and that's why the call to Timothy is remember, remember, remember remind yourself. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. I think about, we used to have a little, um, a little Kia Forte that my wife drove, and on the, um, the, the rearview mirror, she had, you know, be salt, be light, so that every time she would see it, it's that reminder. It's there. It's there. We, we have to have those things. It's so easy to get caught up uh, in our own self-righteousness, uh, in our own efforts, in what the world affords as, as solutions to things, we remember Jesus Christ. We remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And, and Paul kind of sums it up at the end, of the end of the verse there. This is my gospel. This is my gospel. That's, that's the good news. That's what the gospel means is the good news. That's the good news that Paul preached everywhere he went. Um, and, and think about how that gospel contrasts with the gospel that, that we hear today uh, in our country right? Uh, the, the gospel that we hear today is that, that Jesus is a means to an end, um, and that end is a good life now. I mean, it's all going to be great. If you just had a little bit more faith, everything would be great. That's not the gospel that Paul preached. Uh, the, pos- the, the gospel that Paul preached was reconciliation to the Father, uh, was the redemption of sin, was the forgiveness of sin. And so he says, this is my gospel, the, the, risen, the risen Savior, descended from David, our, our faithful high priest who makes atonement for our sin this is my gospel uh, that I preach, and and it's it's so ironic um, that uh, that a gospel like that um, that would would offer that, that kind of hope would lead to a life of suffering, but that's exactly um, what it led to uh, for Paul and so he, he goes on in verse nine, uh, he says, "This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal um, so for Paul's efforts, you know, for preaching the gospel everywhere he went, he suffered. And, and we know what Paul went through. You know we, know, we know of his sufferings. We know of his shipwrecks and his beatings and imprisonments and, and things like that. Um, but, uh, but he says, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering. Uh, I, not I'm suffering on the gospel's behalf, but because of the gospel, this is what's come into my life. Um, this is what's come into my life. And, and we think about the example of Jesus, you know, for, for Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father— Death on the cross. You know, how should we think our imperfect obedience to the Father would result in anything different, right? I mean, that's, that's where we get mixed up sometimes. But, uh, but that's the example that we have. So, so Paul says, I'm, uh, this is the gospel for which I am suffering. In uh, this word suffering, it means to, to suffer evil or to, suf- to suffer from malicious intent. So this isn't just, you know, this is my gospel for which I'm kind of having a bad day. Uh, this is my gospel for which things just haven't worked out for me this week. Um, he's saying, no, this is my gospel for which I suffer evil, for which people intend evil against me, for which people have malicious intent to, to thwart the gospel message. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm suffering. Think about what Jesus said in John 15, 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. You know, that's the example that we have from Jesus. And you know, Peter writes in his letter, don't be surprised by this. If, if you're suffering, that's, that's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. Peter said this in, in uh, 1 Peter 2, 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. To this you were called. You know, this suffering. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ is our pattern. Christ is our example in, in every way. And just as Christ was obedient and suffered, we're called to the same end. As we're obedient to take the gospel wherever the gospel needs to go, we know that we're going to endure suffering. We're, we're shielded from that in our country. We don't see it as much, but it is very real in the world today that people suffer uh, for the gospel. They, they joyfully endure persecution uh, to take the gospel. And Paul says, this is the gospel I preach. This is the gospel I preach to the point of being chained like a criminal. And, and, and Paul wasn't you know, using a hypothetical statement. He, he, he did suffer, and he was presently suffering, but he wasn't complaining about it. You know, he wasn't complaining that he was suffering. He, he knew to expect it, and in, in, a, in, in kind of a, a weird sense, it rejoiced in it, Re, rejoiced in his sufferings. Think about uh, what he said uh, to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. He knew full well. Yet this is no cause for shame, right? This is any reason to be embarrassed about it. This is any reason to, uh, to try to avoid it, right? This is no cause for shame because I know in whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him to that day. You know, suffering for the gospel isn't a sign of God's rejection of you. You know, suffering for the gospel and being obedient to to the spread of the gospel and and suffering because of it isn't a cause for shame or to think that we should be any less confident in God's ability to see us through to the end and and bring us uh, into glory. So so Paul invites Timothy to suffer with him. He says that in in one eight, suffer with me like a good soldier for the wild. Come on, Timothy, suffer. Let's go. So you know, I, I think about the other side of the conversation with Timothy. Timothy may be writing a letter to Paul. Paul, you're not gonna believe this. Ephesus is crazy. And uh, I'm, I'm suffering day in, day out. I'm getting, I'm getting persecuted. You know, people are leaving the church. People are teaching false doctrine. Uh, people are stirring up all kinds of trouble against me. Paul, I, I don't know what to do. And, and Paul says, join me in suffering. I'm suffering right now. You know, we're, we're heralds of the gospel. That's what we've been called to do. Fan into flame the gift you've been given and join me in suffering for the gospel. So Paul says, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained uh, like a criminal. And, and what's interesting, and you know, you can, you've seen enough dungeon movies that you can see kind of a, an emaciated old man chained to the wall with a long beard and long hair and, it, you know, that, that kind of thing. That's, that's the kind of dungeon Paul's in right now. So when he says to the point of being chained like a criminal, he really is chained like a criminal. Like, really? Like, that's, that's what I love about this, this statement is Paul is using real-life examples to say, as he's kind of trying to write this this letter, he has chains on his wrist. And so Paul was acutely aware, not only from the scars on his body, uh, but from the chains on his wrist that I am suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. And I, I am in chains right now. So again, Paul's in a dungeon, uh, there's no sanitation, there's no light. Um, he was dependent on others uh, for food and, and clothing and, and all of those, those kind of things. The fact that he's even able to write a letter is, is a miracle. And he says, to the point of being chained like a criminal. And then he just offers this brilliant transition. You know, I, I try to, as, as difficult as it is, I, I try to get inside Paul's head a little bit when you, when you read his writing, like, what was Paul thinking when he said this? I um, mean, you can almost see the wheels turning as he's writing um, for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained, right? You just, it's almost like you see the light bulb come off with Paul. But God's word is not chained. You know, God's word is not chained. Um, think, about, think about that contrast. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture that Paul, in his apostleship, in his gifting, uh, in all of his ability and what he was called to do, who made such an impact for the kingdom— he, he is chained. He has, been, he has been stopped and thwarted, and he is limited to one physical location. And he says, you know what? That doesn't matter because God's word is not chained. You know, Rome can stop me. Rome can chain me up, but you can't stop the word of God. Man, and, and, and even as he's writing this letter, the gospel is going out. And I think about how this, how this letter that Paul wrote has been preached for 2,000 years. In a sense, the gospel has not been stopped just in the preaching of, of this letter. I think about how we're gathered here right now you know and in a sense we're somewhat somewhat chained we're bound to a physical location but on monday morning we're, we're all going to break out of here and we're i'm not going to preach that long but monday morning we're going to we're going to go to our separate places we're going to go to our homes to, to halsell and marshall and longview and wherever we live and with us We're going to take the word of god wherever we go to our workplaces to schools and things like that and there might be a a few of us in here and you might think well you know the word of god is pretty limited right now it's not because we're going to get out of here and the word of god's going to go with us and just in that little example the word of god is not chained the word of god cannot be cannot be stopped it's it's not bound in any in any means and it's just uh it's just beautiful I think about what, uh, what God says in Isaiah about his word. Just think about this. Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it blood, bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return empty. But will accomplish what I desire. That's certainty. I mean, there's no there's no guesswork there. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I mean, think about the Word of God like that. I mean, think about the supernatural invincibility of the Word of God. And in all the ways we're 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 limited in our thinking. I think about just the ways in my own life in, in, in wrestling with with the calling, how I, I tried as much as I could to imprison. The word of god in my own ability lord i i can't i can't do this i I don't have the words i'm not the right person i think about all the ways that that we try to answer back to god and say lord your word's not sufficient we need the right time we need the right location we need the right circumstances we need all of these things to work together for your word to accomplish its purposes and god says i don't need any of that you know my, my word goes forth and it accomplishes everything i purpose for it to accomplish and it can't be stopped it can't be stopped um not by, not by anything, not by time, circumstance, location, anything like that. It's, it's, it's supernaturally invincible, and I love it. John, John MacArthur said this, and it really, it really got me. The word of God has never been dependent on man's protection or subject to man's restriction. You know, think about, think about those two, two statements. It's never been dependent on man's protection. And this is a tough one to hear because of, because of where we live. God doesn't need democracy for his word to flourish. You know, God doesn't need religious liberty. You know, God doesn't need the First Amendment, right? I, I think about that. Uh, and, and I think how, how the enemy has, has gotten believers sidelined fighting the wrong fight. You know, we, we've been so focused on, man, we've we got to have these things in place for, for people to believe the gospel. And that's, that's not true at all. God doesn't need any of those things. Those are, those are great, and, and I'm thankful to God for them. I'm thankful we have religious liberty and thankful we have those things. But ultimately, God's not subject to that. God, God doesn't need our, our freedoms to accomplish uh, his purposes. And so we, we have to think about what we're putting our hope in to see the gospel advance. Are we putting our hope in, you know, a, a elected officials, uh, or the right man in office, or, or the right laws to be passed? If, if that's what we're hoping in, uh, we're in for disappointment. We're going to be disappointed by those things. But we can rest in the truth that God doesn't, God doesn't need that. God's word is not subject to, to those kinds of things for his, his word to go forth. And I think what's even more, more encouraging is it's not subject to man's restriction. You know, as, as much as humans have done, as, as governments and rulers have done for the past 2,000 years to silence the gospel, we're, we're here today as testimony that that's true, that God's word can't be stopped. I mean, the, the, the blood of the martyrs filled the Colosseums, um, and just some of the persecutions that, that went against the Christians throughout history just break your heart when you read about it, all in an attempt to silence and cut off the word of God from being spread, but, but to no effect. If, if anything, you know, those kinds of outward persecutions only serve to galvanize the church, uh, to have all the more resolve uh, and, and to go forward. And so, you know, I think about, you know, the persecutions in, in the Roman Empire, the persecutions uh, in, in China or communist Russia or all of these different places where it seemed like we're going we're gonna to end the gospel. The gospel will not... Uh, go forward anymore from this place, but none of it, none of it true. Uh, so I just be encouraged by that. God's word is not chained. You know, I think about the, the difference it would make in my life if I really believe that. You know, if I really, really believe that ultimately it's, it's not about my skill or ability, but about God's supernatural, invincible word going forth. I mean, just what kind of reckless abandon we would live with and just telling people about Jesus, Not worrying about rejection. Not worrying about, uh, well, what if they don't like me anymore? What if they, what if they kill me? You wouldn't worry about that if you really believe that. Yeah, you can snuff me out, but that's not going to stop God's word. You know, you can kill all of us. It's not going to stop God's word. God's word will not, will not be stopped. It will accomplish everything that God intends for it to accomplish. So, so we should be encouraged by those things. And so, as as Paul considers considers these truths, the the reality of a resurrected Jesus. Uh, one who fully is aware of everything that we go through in every way, who has made perfect atonement for our sin, the, the supernatural invincibility of God's word. He comes to really the only logical conclusion that you can come to. I mean, this is, that's how you know Paul wasn't crazy. He's really thinking logically here. Like, if these things are true, then verse 10 necessarily has, has to happen. He says this in verse 10. Therefore... I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So that's it. You know, if Paul's convinced in a resurrected Jesus, in a faithful high priest who's made complete atonement for our sin and God's word that cannot be stopped, what am I waiting for? What am I waiting for? Therefore, I endure everything. And again, Paul's not speaking hypothetically. He literally has been enduring. You know, I think about... You know, sometimes we'll use phrases like man i would i'd take a bullet for that guy knowing that we'll probably never take a bullet i mean that's never that's never going to happen i mean i would take a bullet for my family but and i would but i'd probably never have to so i can i can make really really bold statements like that i think about you know politicians when they're trying to get elected into office they say whatever they have to say knowing that they're not going to have to pass this or that i mean they just say whatever people want to hear but paul's not doing that here Therefore, I endure everything. Paul has already been enduring everything. We know that. Paul, Paul is speaking specifically uh, about, his, about his situation, right? And so when he talks about enduring, it means to, to bear up under a load. And, and we'll talk about enduring a little bit more next week. But Paul says, I endure everything. I take on everything for this, for this one end. You know, Paul has a very, very specific specific end in mind uh, for the sake of the elect. I endure everything whatever the cost, whatever it takes, uh, I endure it. Whatever the pain, whatever the suffering, whatever the abandonment, I endure it. Because these things are true on behalf, for the sake uh, of the elect. And so, think about this. Paul had these, Paul had these two motivators, right? He had, he had the reality of, of a risen Jesus and a faithful high priest and an unfettered word of God pushing him, and then he had the reality of God's elect pulling him, right? He had these two things going, going in his life. And so, when Paul went out to take the gospel uh, on all of his all of his missionary journeys and the places he went, he didn't go with a blind hope, like, "Well, I got this message. I hope somebody, hope somebody believes it. I, you know, we'll see, we'll see." No, it was it was it was certain. He's like, "I know there's a people out there. I know God's got a people, and I'm confident that God's going to use the preaching of His word to call His people." That's it. I know that. Think about think about this. This is um, Acts 18. You know, Paul's in Corinth, and um, you know, he's been rejected by the Jews. And so, so the Lord comes to him at night. So this is Acts 18, 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul says, listen, or God says, I, I've got a plan for you, Paul, and you're not going to be stopped until it accomplishes what I purpose. I, I have many people in this city that are going to hear the gospel and respond, so keep preaching. Don't give up. Don't be silent. Don't, don't let this setback hold you back. I've got people in this city. Remain confident, Paul. Don't remain confident in the circumstances. Remain confident in me, who will sovereignly call the people uh, that I have. Or think about what Jesus says. You know, if you're like, well, what did Jesus say about this? What Jesus says. In John 10." This is great. Jesus is is speaking with the Pharisees and and gives a a picture of himself as the good shepherd. He says this in 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. You know, even at at that moment when Jesus is is saying this, he knows I've got other sheep. They're out there. I know they're out there, right? And, And what does he say about these other sheep? I must bring them also. They, too, will listen to my voice, right? There's no, there's no question in Jesus' mind that I have other sheep, and they will come, they will come. They will listen to my voice, and there will, there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus Jesus speaks with certainty that there's a people out there. God's got a, God's got a people out there. Amen. Revelation 5, uh, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is a, this is a picture of, of heaven. And they sang a new song saying... You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And so the, the blood that Jesus shed 2,000 years ago redeemed completely people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so those, those people are out there and Paul knows this. And that fuels his missionary efforts to know that God's got a people. I'm taking the gospel everywhere I go. And so, you know, I think sometimes when we read that about every, I do endure everything for the sake of the elect, you know, people think, well, believing in election or believing in unconditional election or whatever it is, that, that's really, you know, that, that kind of deters evangelism. Um, but, but really, it's, it's the fuel for evangelism. You know, it's our, it's our motive uh, in evangelism. It's, it's why we even do evangelism. Otherwise, what hope would we have? You know, why would, why would we go? You know, listen to, listen to Paul's evangelistic mandate. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Paul believed in missions. Paul believed in evangelism. Paul believed in taking the gospel out. And we should, too. And we go with confidence. Not that we have the right words to say or, or even the means to do it, but we know that God is sovereign. God is sovereign to call his people in. That's it. That's why we go. And so we can endure everything for the sake of the elect. And again, this isn't, um, this isn't a, a trivial matter, right? Paul's not there uh, just to give them some, some good thoughts or some good vibes, uh, but this is that they may obtain salvation, right? That's, that's what he had in mind is, is their salvation. And again, as, as Tim preached last week, we're Christ ambassadors, as if God were making his appeal through us to be reconciled to God. That's, that's what we go out with. Paul says, I, I endure everything to take that message out. I endure everything that the gospel would go to God's people, and and they would come in. Think about what he said in Romans Romans 10, 12 through 15. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, the, the, the glorious truth is that while God divinely and sovereignly calls his people, he calls us to go and take the gospel. You know, as, as we preach the gospel, God calls his people. We, God, in some way, partners with us to take the, to take the gospel out and, and call his people in. That's, that's the good news. And and Paul says, I endure everything for that. I endure everything that they would obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And um, this wasn't a trivial matter for Paul. Salvation is what he had in mind, eternal salvation, you know, eternal glory. Think about that. So you know, I think about how, how sometimes we get, we, get, we get tired, we get fatigued. I just don't think I've got anything left in me. Um, I just don't think I can keep going. Uh, this really isn't that big of a deal that, that I tell this person about, about Jesus. Uh, but, but Paul didn't have that in mind. Paul said, God's got a people. I endure everything for them because God's word can't be chained. I, I serve a risen Christ. Why else would I do this? I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the gospel so that they would obtain the salvation for an eternal glory you know, in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what Paul is working toward. That's, that's his aim in everything we do. So, as we as we think about you know this this section of, of scripture, you know, verses verses eight through ten, just just I want to I wanna remember, I wanna call back a few things. We remember Jesus Christ remember Jesus Christ. As you go out of your day, remember Jesus Christ. And and, in all the things that that you walk through, whatever they may be, remember Jesus Christ. Keep him at the forefront of your mind. Keep him in the center of everything that you do. And and not just just Jesus, this this historical figure like we remember Abraham Lincoln or or somebody like that. We remember a risen Savior. We're, We're inspired by a savior who defeated death, who God raised up, and in him we have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sin. We have a high priest who can empathize with every weakness that we have. Turn to Christ uh, in, in everything, in, in your sin, and your temptation. Run to the throne for forgiveness, right? That's what we have. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ in everything you do. And, and believe in the invincible spread of God's word. Man, be gripped by that i pray that as a church we would be gripped by the reality that god's word cannot be chained that god's word can't be stopped in spite of man's best efforts uh, in spite of our lack of ability in spite of circumstances god's word cannot be stopped Uh, be gripped by that pray that god would begin to use you to to take his gospel even in situations that seem completely absurd that we're not resting on on our understanding of things we're resting in faith that, that god is sovereign god is sovereign and hear the mission mandate um, in, in this passage, that God's, got a, that God's got a people. God's got a people out there, and we can be confident, um, not in our ability. Again, not in our ability, but God's got a people, and that we endure everything on their behalf. To take the gospel confident that people are going to hear and respond, because God is sovereign. So, I'll close with, uh, with this verse. This is 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I thought it was fitting. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you always give yourself fully to the work of the lord because you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain let's pray father we thank you so much uh, for your word we thank you for your son jesus christ that he died on the cross for our sin we thank you for the redemption and the forgiveness that we have in him father i pray that we would be gripped by that truth in, in everything that we do and everywhere that we go that we would remember jesus christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Father, I pray that we would believe in the supernatural invincibility of your word, that it cannot be stopped, it cannot be thwarted in spite of man's best efforts. I pray that we would rest in that firm foundation. Father, I pray that you would give us a zeal for evangelism. I pray that we would take the gospel everywhere we go, being fully confident that your people will hear and will be saved. And Father, I just thank you again for this fellowship. I pray for blessings on everyone here. In your name I pray. Amen.